Let's read from Second uh, Kings chapter 4, the first seven verses. You follow in your copies as I read. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in your in the house? And she said, Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, Go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, that endures forever. You know, guys, one of just the scores of criticisms that have been uh, aimed or have been aimed at me over the years, many of them justified and and true, but one one man one time criticized me by saying, you love that book way too much. And that's a possibility. They even have a word for it. It's called uh, bibliolatry. That is when you, when you love the book more than you love the God who wrote the book, that's called bibliolatry. It's a danger, one that we have to, um, um, avoid. But guys, this story that I just read you, these, these, uh, seven verses, and, and, and passages like this one, is just another example of one of the reasons that I so love this book. And, and what I'm saying is, what you find in the Bible are such a multiplicity of stories and statements and, and proverbs and this, this grand variety of instances and passages and texts and paragraphs and um, illustrations all saying the same thing. They're all defining and explaining the gospel. I had a friend, Steve Brown, you might know Steve, but Steve uh, said, you know, the Bible doesn't say much, but what it says, it says it often. And the thing that you see in this story is another way, another variety of ways that God explains the gospel in the Bible. Ladies and gentlemen, if you can understand this story, you can understand the gospel. Or, said, let me say it like this, if you can relate to this woman, I, I bet it's going to help you understand your story better than you do. 
Guys, this is a, this is our story in these seven verses. This is my story in these seven verses. If you can understand, if you can relate to her, then you see it. And I, I hope to tell you what that idea is before we're done, but take a look at the story with me. It's, um, it's a simple story. First of all, take a look at the situation that this woman's in. She has a creditor. And uh, the creditor has demanded payment. So um, we're told that this wife is a um, is the widow of a former prophet. Her husband is now dead. So that means that she's not only lonely, but she's in debt. She's in trouble. She's a woman, and she's a widow. And in, and in this culture, ladies and gentlemen, that's two strikes against you. Now, add to that, she is drowning in debt. Again, in this culture, ladies, folks, if you were a woman, you were disadvantaged already. But to be an unmarried woman is to simply exacerbate your situation. And then to be an unmarried woman who is in debt, well, that's just a, that is a recipe for tragedy. Now, um, notice in the, in the story, no one ever says that the creditor is wrong to make this demand. Or <clears throat> she never tries to deny that the debt is hers. Uh, in fact, I think you could make a case of saying that she uh, she seems to acknowledge that indeed she does owe it. <clears throat> Whether it was left to her by her husband, I don't know. But she does not deny the fact that she has a debt. Um, her creditor has come to her demanding a pound of flesh. You notice he's, he won't be satisfied with with just one son. He wants both of the sons. But the point simply being, the consequences of her debt are dire. She's going to lose her two sons. Um, Her situation is dire because the debt that is so large, she is quite unable to pay that debt. What she owes, what she legitimately owes... And what the creditor has a legitimate right to demand, she can't pay it. It's just too large. I don't have it, and I can't pay it. So she's sunk. Um, She never tries to plead how wrongly she's being treated. She doesn't feel like the whole situation is... An example of injustice. No. I owe it, all right. Everything that he says I owe, I owe. And so it's not that she feels like she's the victim of injustice. What she feels is helpless. A sense of, a sense of desperation. She cannot fix this. And so that's her situation. 
She is facing a demanding creditor over a debt that she legitimately owes and she can't pay. So she concludes, I am, I'm ruined. So she does the only thing that she knows to do. She goes to the prophet. She appeals, she makes an appeal to God through his appointed prophet Elisha. And because she does, her debt is paid. And guys, you gotta look at this. I mean, her debt is paid, but it is paid by something that God provided for her. It's, um, it's in essence a, a miracle provision. What's in those jars, God put it in there. Um, she doesn't produce anything. Everything that she needed to pay her debt was given to her by God. She doesn't grow those olives. She doesn't harvest those olives. She doesn't squeeze those olives. All that she has to pay her debt was given to her. And and she, of all people, she knows that it was God who intervened on her behalf so that everything necessary to pay her debt was provided. That the help that she needs and the help that she gets is outside of her. It's, it's external to her. Um, and, and one other feature of this, of this provision that I want you to see is it's not only enough for her past, it's also enough for her future. Take this, go pay the debt, and then y'all live off the rest, which is said in verse 7. The provision that God made for her is a provision that is fully adequate to address the problems of her past. But it is also adequate to provide for her in such a way that her future is safe. The same provision that addressed the needs of her past is the same provision that provides for her future. She is now safe from her past and from whatever the future might hold because because of what God has provided for her. Now, also, I, w- I want you to notice her her role in this. Um, call it her response, what have you. She responds to instructions that were given to her by God. In the, in the midst of all of her grief and all of her fear and all of her, the turbulence of her soul, she does exactly what she is told to do. I mean, she doesn't think this up, um, nor does she balk. When Elisha says, go do this, she doesn't say, no, you know, no, I, 
Um, I'm not sure I like this, this, this plan. C- could you, could you outline for me my options? She simply does what she is told to do. And, and what you see her doing is responding in faith to something God has said to her through this prophet Elisha. Let me, let me show you why I call it an act of faith. A couple of reasons. First of all, she takes the only thing that she has and she gives it away. She's got a jar of oil. She's, um, that's the only thing she's got. And she's going to um, dispose of that in essence. You know, she's, you've heard this story before, guys. It's, if you read Christian material very much, you'll find this story in those, in these books. Uh, I think I've told it before too. I'm not sure of that, but I mean, it's, I say it in books all. It's the story of Desert Pete. Remember the story of Desert Pete? Well, Desert Pete, as the story goes, is trekking through the desert and he's, he's dying of thirst and he comes upon, he comes upon a well. A, 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 with a pump. One of those, one of those hand pumps right out in the middle of the desert. And you know, the sun is scorching and he's dying and his mouth is parched and he gets over to the well and he sees that there's a bottle leaning up against the well and it's full of water. And attached to the bottle is a note. And the note says, this well will give you as much water as you can possibly ever want. But what you have to do is that you have to empty the contents of this bottle into the well to prime the pump um, before the water will come. And by the way, be sure and fill the bottle up for the next traveler. So... Desert Pete has got a crisis on his hands. Do I slake my thirst by drinking this thing? Or do I do as I'm told? Pour it in there, pour away this one. I've done it. So that I can prime the pump. Well, this lady's situation is like that. Do I, do I pour this away? Oh my God. But she is responding, folks, to instructions that were given to her by the, by God through this prophet Elisha. The other thing that you see her doing, which is a, an expression of faith, I think, is that she goes out and borrows all those other jars, um, empty ones, just, just, just like she was told to do. She knocks on the door and she says, um, uh, you don't know me. I live, you know, down the street. And, but um, if you've got any empty jars I could have, they know her. You know, they know that she's in trouble. And they say, well, I got some empty jars. But, lady, what are you going to do with them? I mean, <laughs> what are you going to put in there? And what do you need an empty jar for? I mean, this is silly. Um, you got nothing to put in those jars. Yes, 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 right. But could I borrow them? Well, here, go ahead. Everything that she does, folks, is simply done on the grounds of the prophet's word to her. In the midst of all of her, her threatening situation, 
She does what she's told to do with the expectation of plenty. But the only thing she has to lean on is the Word of God. All of her behaviors are the result of believing that I have heard something from God. You know, she reminds me of that woman in um, in, in Jesus' ministry. Do you remember her? The um, Mark 7, I think it is, where, where she's called the Syrophoenician woman. Remember her? She comes to Jesus and... and um, and she's got a daughter that's got a demon. And, and she says to Jesus, would you please heal my daughter of this demon? And, and what Jesus says to her, uh, he's really criticized for. Do you, you know this, this passage where he says to the woman, she's a Syrophoenician, which means she's the Gentile. He says, um, I, it's not good. It's not right to give the children uh, the food of the children to the dogs. He calls her a dog. He calls her a dog. And, um, and she says, yes, Lord, true. But even the dogs can feed off the crumbs on your table. In, in essence, in essence, she's saying, yes, Jesus, that's all true, but there's so, there's enough on your table even to feed us Gentile dogs. Just the overflow of things that are on your table. Will will meet every need that that I've ever had. And so Jesus is moved by that response, and so he grants her request and heals her daughter. But in this story about this woman, this woman, in in her case, her debt is not forgiven. It's paid. But it's paid, it's paid by something that God provided for her. All the rightful claims on the part of the creditor, they're all met. Everything that is owed is paid. It's not just forgiven. It's all paid by something that God did. And that very thing that God did for her addresses the needs of her past while at the same time addressing the needs of her future. Does this story in any way help you understand your own? It, it should. But just in case you um, are having trouble connecting the dots, let, let, me, let me try to do a little bit of that for you. Here's dot number one. When God mentions something this often, it must be very important. The whole idea, ladies and gentlemen, of mercy and grace being available to the most grievous of offenders, 
that. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the storyline of the Bible. One of the things that the non-Christian world does not understand is that the message of this book is not some kind of outline, some kind of creed, some type of to-do list. The message of this book is that that mercy and grace is available to the most grievous of offenders like me. This is not about... Go out and do this and live this way, and then when you've done enough, I'll, I'll make some decision as to whether or not I like you. It's about, it's about undeserving people finding something from God that they never dreamed would be possible. And when this book says that this often, we really ought to pay attention. Mercy and grace available to the grievous and most grievous of offenders. Here's the second dot. Guys, the gospel is not, is not for beautiful people who have it all together. <clears throat> the gospel is for people who are in debt and who know it. It's for people who are overdrawn and Bankrupt and swamped and drowning in a sea of red ink. And they know it. The gospel is a story that announces, hey, hey, you folks who know that you're drowning in your red ink morally, there is a solution. There's a solution for people who have as much debt as you've got Here's the third dot. Guys, Christians are people who have issues that they know that they are unable to to solve in and of themselves. They, They have a disease for which there is no known cure. They make no attempt to deny that the debt is theirs. No, no, it's mine. I did it. That's me. They know that the debt that is theirs is one that is so large they can't pay it. And they finally, they finally stopped all this foolish talk about, about, I'm really a good person. You're not a good person. I'm not a good person. It's, um, it's foolish to continue to talk like that, folks, to say that, you know, um, you know, I'm really, I've really done my best, but I slipped up and, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna get this thing back on course and I'm really sincere. No, ladies and gentlemen, we've given up foolishness like that. We're people who know I'm in debt. And my sin has created a debt that I cannot pay. And the creditor has every right in the world to demand it. But I can't pay it. 
But we're people who also know that it's been paid for. It's been paid for by God in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. God didn't wink at my sin and simply say, oh, just kidding. No. Every dime of what I owe has been paid in full. And, and, and the fifth thought is, because every dime has been paid, my past has been dealt with in such a way that my future is safe. The, the work that God did in Christ for me is so perfect, so complete, that I don't need have any fears about my future. Guys, it, it troubles me and that so many people who understand the beauty of what Christ does or did are still so fearful about, about dying. Guys, when I die, I'm not taking any debt to heaven with me. Because 2,000 years ago, my debt was paid. And it was done so, so perfectly, so completely, that not only was my past cared for, But I'm safe into eternity. And then, of course, the, the, the sixth dot has to do with the response. My response, just like hers, is simply to follow the instructions given to me by God. And here are those instructions. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. There they are. That's it. Guys, the gospel is not about what I did or, what, or about what I need to do. It's an announcement. It's an announcement about what God has already done in Christ for me. The gospel is not good advice. The gospel is good news. You know, we're, we're all such can-do people. You know, the, just give me, a, give me something to do and get out of my way and, and I'll go get it done and I'll fix myself. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the reason why people miss the beauty of the gospel. Salvation is not a program to follow like some new diet. It's a gift to be received, not a task to be undertaken. You know, I, I could use a good diet, but, but it won't fix me. Because I'm not a good person with a, with a bit of a room for improvement. 
I'm sunk. I'm sunk in a sea of red ink. And so I've run to a sea of red blood and I, and I dove in to that fountain that's filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. You know, guys, in a sense, the gospel makes extroverts out of all of us. Um, because it, it turns us into a people who look outside of ourselves, not inside. We become, we become receivers because we know that if God doesn't pay our debt, we're ruined. But he has paid it. And so the inexhaustible resources of God are available to all those who simply trust in the finished work of Christ. Guys, the gospel is is a message not about what needs to be done. It's a message about what has already been done in Christ. To Christ, the Father turns and says... Everything they owe, I will require of you. And so God in Christ bears the sentence that his own justice demands and offers me the benefits to anyone who will receive it. You know, um, this whole Tiger Woods episode that's been all over the media for the last 10 days, that, that's been a very unfortunate thing in a, at, at a lot of levels. And we can talk about some of them if you want to. But um, the thing that I have marveled at is, is watching all of the news media pile on and just seemed to enjoy every every new little morsel that they could cough up and make somebody look really bad. You know, I wish I could say to Tiger, I, um, I wish somebody would say to Tiger, I wish I could say to Tiger, Tiger, you're no more wicked than I am. But you are bankrupt. Before God. And you need to become a receiver. Somebody who simply grabs hold of that which has already been done for him in Christ. Because, Tiger, there's nothing else that's going to fix us. The debt. It's just too large. The announcement of the gospel is this. The debt has been paid. Trust in Christ. An act that 
takes care of the past and moves you all the way into the future. Debt free. Our Father, I, I thank you again for your word that is um, indeed, it is it is full of that story. It's everywhere. It's um, You find a um, a fairly innocuous little story in 2 Kings 4, and there it is. All about debt and God's provision to pay it. It's a, it's a glorious message, oh God. It's a privilege to preach it. It's not only a privilege to preach it, but it's a privilege to receive it. Because God, if there's nobody else in this room, I know one person that needs it. And it's me. My debt, so large that I could never pay it. My debt, paid. Paid for me by Christ Jesus the Lord. So, Father, um, as we move into the, the happy days of this season, might the thing that grabs hold of our hearts is the sweetness of knowing that the debt is paid The future is safe, all because of who Jesus is and what he did. We pray, of course, in his name.